The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started, before we get started this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, rotoballer.com, proud sponsor of the show. Great products over there, premium products, premium tools, premium Slack chat, articles, a lot of free articles as well. A lot of great stuff over there. You know, I write a lot of DFS content at rotoballer.com for baseball and football. We have a lot of season-long content for baseball coming up even as the season winds on down. So go over to rotoballer.com, join the premium package, use promo code Bubba for 10% off the package of your choice. Also, if you are into fantasy sports, which you obviously are for listening to the show, and you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports, and you live for the short-term gratification at DFS, then you have to try it out. You have to try out Owner's Box, everybody. It's a weekly fantasy sports game on Owner's Box. WFS, not DFS, WFS, weekly fantasy sports. Head on over to rollerballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season-long. It keeps you engaged throughout live drafting and new multi-week games. OwnerBox will be playing out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first-ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. So basically... You sign up. You come play at Owner's Box. Use rotoballer.com slash box to sign up. Then you bring your friends in, and you get a little kickback for that. You have your own leagues, weekly leagues, talk all the trash, have all the fun. Hey, but that's not it. In honor of the NFL season going forward, Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit up to $50 when you head on over to rollerballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your rewards and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports at WFS. For all you lovers of fantasy sports, weekly fantasy sports, owner's box, rotoballer.com backslash box for a $50 deposit bonus. Now to this new episode of Benched with Bubba.
And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 57. We're starting our position previews. It is November, let me double check, 8th. And we are starting our position previews for the 2021 fantasy baseball season. Going to start with a catcher tonight. Before we do that, you can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick. You can find Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. How are we doing, man? Uh, we're doing well, Bubba. Doing well. It's been a, it's been a good week and... Um, getting excited about fantasy baseball again, diving into some of the, some of the research, listening to some podcasts, been on some podcasts. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I think 2021 is going to be, you know, we've talked about it before. It's going to be a really unique and interesting year from a, from a fantasy baseball perspective, but I'm, I'm excited to dive in and start to go through the positional previews. Cause I think these are really helpful for me. You know, I think would what what we're trying to do is kind of put these out fairly early and then we'll revisit them as we get closer to the season and, and kind of add a little bit to it. But I think it's really helpful just to familiarize ourselves again with with what we're what we're going to be looking at heading into 2021 draft. So I'm really excited to do that. I know people crap on the catcher position, but, you know, I love the catcher position. I love the catcher position. So I'm really excited um, about it. How about you? How are you doing? Good. You like a catcher at the catcher position. Let's be very clear like about catcher. that. <laughs> but um, I'm no, changing I, my tune. It's not just a catcher. It's just catchers just in general. I'm, I'm, I love. Yeah, I'm doing well. And uh, like Toby and I talked after last week's show about kind of doing the positions. And he brought up a good point. I guess if we take anything good from this whole 2020 COVID season is we were able to recap our position previews and do kind of a shorter version and do a couple positions an episode. So getting these position previews out earlier, we can give a little depth, but not go crazy. Like we were doing two to three hour episodes per position yeah. before last season. We don't need to go that crazy this time around because a lot's going to change by the time we recap. It'll be like in January, February, and we'll have a lot more news going into spring training. And so it'll be kind of cool. Like you said, it's kind of get a refresher course on everything. Like I've been doing rankings. You've been doing your values there's things that you've noticed that change the, the positions and it's very interesting already. And I'm diving into it. It's going to be a, a, a nice uh, look at it. And the, on the, like you said the catcher's position, it's interesting to say the least. And yeah. so what we'll do is over the top 10 NFB, uh, BC ADPs right now, one draft completed and each, each episode will keep using the ADPs and they'll get more and more. And then we'll compare them to other stuff and we'll do the top 10 there. Then we'll give a couple uh, from the 11 through 20 that we stand, that stand out to us. And then some longer shot guys, then obviously your listener questions will fuel a lot of it. And a lot of the listener questions are already going to be about guys we cover in this episode, but also you have strategy and other things. So it'll all encompass a, a preview one way or another at all times. But uh, let's start with the one, the only, the number one in the top 10, NFBC ADP, the shocking nobody on this show, at least, or any listener of the show, okay. the one, the only, and I'm not going to play even talk about him because I have nothing to say that won't be said here shortly, <laughs> JT Real Vito. Toby, what yeah. the floor is yours. All right. Well, I mean, people have heard me talk about JTR so much um, already. Uh, obviously, there's a huge question mark about where he ends up playing. You know, I think um, the Phillies seem like a potential option. The Mets seem like they might make a run with him. Uh, um, you know, the Yankees potentially. But I think it cut drops off a little bit from there in terms of like level of interest. Uh, Craig Mish, who I know has a good relationship with JT Realmuto, was throwing some stuff around there about probabilities and things just for fun. But, um, you know, the JTR, I think the thing that's there's a couple pieces to him, um, his value, I think number one is plate appearances. You know, he's going to play more plate, plate appearances than the vast majority of catchers, if not all of them. If we do have, if he stays in the 
NL and we still have the NLDH, depending on which team he lands on, you know, and their depth, he may get some plate appearances there. Um, he's got speed, uh, which I think is another thing that's really critical, um, you know, just to, just as a separator. And then I think he he also has, is not a batting average liability. He's generally will help you out in batting average, particularly when compared to other catchers. And I think the other thing is that he contributes in the other categories as well. Um, and just, you know, phenomenal production um, from the catcher position. So again, you know, the market still seems to kind of value him the same uh, this, this year as they did last year. So I imagine that I'll have a number of different shares with him and, I do think that it's a unique profile at the catcher position, which makes him much more valuable than anybody else. But there are some intriguing other profiles, I think, as the catchers as we move through them. So just, you, you know, just thinking about like, you know, my the spreadsheet that I have right now, which is actually based off of 2019, you know, but I have him as about a $27 player, the 21st overall um, player, um, not just hitter. And that is, um, and he's going to an ADP of 40, at least in the one NFBC um, draft that we have so far. So he's still a huge value, especially that high up in drafts. And so, again, I'll, I'll plan to uh, prioritize him in the in the third round of 15 teamers uh, this year. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Fourth, fifth overall, and not crazy in the fact how you've justified it, but makes sense for people that have played NFBC and to get your leagues of why he goes 40th. But it was crazy to me that the second guy goes 97th. So that's the gap yeah. between the, the two at, at, at catch. We've seen it, but it's just like already out the gate, the gap's pretty darn wide. And uh, we know we had two early mocks. He was an average ADP of 47.6. The next closest was Will Smith at 111, basically. So an even mm-hmm. wider gap and a different player, second overall. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But a couple other things I wanted to hit on. Uh, you mentioned the, the DH, which – it, we all know it's going to come back in the National League. It should just be permanent from here on out. It's a bargaining chip. And if you look at steamer projections, Real Muto's projected to have the most games played at first base. I think a lot of that is due to the DH. I mean, a catcher due to the DH at 144. The next closest is Yasmani Grandal at 133, then Perez at 128. So it drops off big time. Those extra 11 games there, then you go you know, 16 and more games at a position is tremendous. One of the things you've talked about many times that makes him so valuable besides just being an average asset, stealing some bags, doing these things, just those extra at-bats, you know, accumulate runs, accumulate RBIs, give you more chances for other stats. Uh, that's a big thing for Yomuto. So I've never been a guy to take a catcher that early. I still have not done it yet. But the more I talk with you about it, the more even other guys like um, that are very experienced in the game are starting to go towards this world realm, and it makes more sense now. Like I, I at least can sit back and go, okay, I get it. Now – do I reach and do it because it's still hard to stomach a mid third round pick taking a catcher. But I guess you got to kind of tell yourself this isn't your normal catcher. And yeah. that's where, and that's where like, we're looking at the steamers. The gameplay alone is a tremendous difference. That's why we used to love Buster Posey so much. He actually had power because he'd go and play first base and he'd play 145 games. And that was a big separator at that point in time. So We'll see. Like uh, I, I have nothing else really to add to, to JTR besides that he's a, he's awesome, and I might try to uh, finagle my way into owning some at some point in time. Yeah, and one and one thing that I'll say is that um, you know whenever we're talking about catchers, like I'm always thinking about two catcher leagues, and I know not everybody who listens to the podcast thinks about two catcher leagues, but a couple of things just on his value. So in 15 ta- teamers, he's super valuable. He's actually more valuable in in 12 team leagues that have two catchers because replacement level is higher. And so it's, it's much more difficult in a 12 team league 
to find differences between players, like the, the, the just difference between players because the player pool is smaller is, is smaller. And so guys that can differentiate themselves, you know, it's why like batting average or stolen bases and things like that are really important in terms of the value of players in 12 team leagues is because, you know, you're getting higher counting stats than you would in like a deeper league. Um, and so I just would say like a lot of people are like, Oh, it's a 15 team league and, and two catchers. And so that's why you go after JTR because it gets so thin out. And it's like, yes, that's the case, but he's also more valuable, at least for my spreadsheet um, when he's in a 12 team league, when it's two catchers and even in a one team, a one catcher league, he's still really valuable because again, you know, if depending on how shallow the league is, the, the differences between players is magnified. Um, And so I just, I just, you know, have people think about that a little bit, that it's not just because he's, I generally do 15 teamers with two catchers that he's valuable. He's valuable in pretty much every format. Yeah. And most of the discussion we're going to have on all positions will be based on 15 teamers, most in NBC formats. So just most, most listeners know that by now, but that's just a a a rehash on that one. But I I think it's interesting that 12 teamers, I guess it makes sense if you're thinking about it just on, you know, you use the dollar values and stats based. I use the let's do um you know caveman style analysis here, and I guess caveman. it makes sense. Caveman style. Can, you should do projections called caveman. I should. I might need to do that. It's like here's my chicken scratch. I did these without a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is Bubba's caveman projections. Um, but it makes sense when you kind of think about the long route in a twelve team league. The replacement value on the other players, kind of what you're saying, is a lot. There's a lot more of it out there. Like if you the outfield depth in a 12 team league, five outfielders, that's still, you know, three fewer teams. That's 15 fewer outfielders. Like you start doing the math on these things. It's huge where you're still the top catcher, no matter if it's 12 teams or 15 teams, it's JTR. And that uh, even though the replacement value might be, you know, 10 more catchers or uh, no six more catchers in a, um, a 15 team league, those six catchers compared to those 15 outfielders would be completely different players. Totally. So, and that's kind of where I wanted to break it down to be like, this is why he's even more valuable in a 12-teamer because that gap in the replacement is even bigger. Yeah, and totally. Like, think about like, yeah, t- the difference between your catcher 24 and your catcher 30 is nothing. You know, like yeah, they all yeah. suck. They're all yeah. god-awful. And every you don't time want you them see anyways. them in your lineup, you're just yeah. like, oh, my God, why is this guy in my lineup? Why do I not have better catchers? to make me feel better about this team. Well, and then it goes back to those guys that are 24 through 30. They're probably in a committee playing maybe half their games. Yeah, totally. So you're screwed, you're screwed there too. And it's just, they're just uh, you know, compiling the issue. So another case where you, the more we talk about, it, it's just like, you know, the way I've started to evaluate it and we'll talk more strategy. It's okay. I might not reach for JT, but I try to get like two of my top 10 or something like that. Like I want two just beasts if I can. Uh, not JTR he's in his own level, but we'll start with number two. Here is a guy that I love. We loved him last year coming back from Tommy John surgery. And there's people that were doubting him, but we did not on this show. And that is Salvador Perez coming off a monstrous season. Our buddy, Mike Kirkland, uh, he does a lot of great uh, videos with swing changes and whatnot. Salvi appeared to make one. If you go look at his pages, his stat cash pages, just, just uh, all, all the stuff he's done. He's made some drastic changes and it, it shows in his quality of contact. Uh, amongst other things there. He still doesn't walk a lot, but uh, that's Salviat as fine as he's going. 97th overall in the NPC so far. He was the third catcher off the board 
into early mocks, going to pick 120. So got a little bit of a boost there in FBCs. But uh, what's your thoughts on Salvi? Because he's my number two in my rankings, and so far he's number two in FBC. Yeah, I mean, I love Salvi too. <laughs> I think he's got a similar situation to JT where the plate appearances I think will be incredibly helpful you know, for him, we kind of know what he's going to be and he's not going to give us the batting average that he's given us, you know, this year, right. He's not going to replicate that 375, uh, Babbitt. Um, he's not going to have a, he's likely not going to have a 27% line drive rate, right. His ground ball rate is pretty similar to what it's been in the past. You know, we probably had some, some fortunate variance on that side, but maybe he has made, you know, some changes. Maybe there is something, um, you know, that, that might boost that batting average up uh, just a little bit. You know, his projection, according to Steamer, um, is uh, for, it's like a $25 projection. So slightly lower than, um, than JTR. I mean, if you, if you compare the players like JTR, higher batting average, probably, you know, Salvi, more power, um, you know, so, uh, but I love, I like him too. And I think where he's going right now is, is certainly a value. And I think, uh, Matheny was, you know, played him like every single day. It felt like, um, and that's going to be a huge differentiator, I think. And going at pick ninety-seven, I, um, I think that's totally, it's totally reasonable for me. And I can, you know, I think that the challenge with going like JTR and then Salvi Perez as like your two catchers in a two-catcher league, it sounds really great, but then it's like where are your stolen bases coming from? You know, you got to find a place for those stolen bases as well. So. But I really like him. Yeah, he's, he would be my number two catcher off the board as well. Um, and, and yeah, I like him. I mean, the stat cast data was just, just jumps off the page. Like you mentioned, it's just um, he was crushing the ball. And, again, you know, we have a small sample size for him. It was only 155 plate appearances because he had the eye issue um, for a couple weeks. But, yeah, he's, he's really good, and he's always been good, and I see no reason why he won't be good next year as long as he's healthy. Yeah, as long as he's healthy. And I, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Like, you look at his contact numbers, his contact went down across the board, which is a concerning more swing and miss. His strikeout rate jumped 4% from 2018, and his walk rate dropped even more. I mean, you think it probably couldn't. <laughs> it did, which is just nuts. But everything else was great. The barrels went up. You know, the launch angle actually dropped, but he had more power. But um, even his ex-batting average, 325 compared to 333, his real average, just his numbers were awesome. Um, he's another one of those guys. We talked about a lot of guys lately that, the line drive rates all went up. And so, you know, you got to kind of figure, is that really sustainable? Where's that going to come from? Cause that's not really the stickiest of stats as we talked about. Mm-hmm. So where does that go with Salvi? But even if it kind of dips to, okay, so instead of three thirty three, he dropped to two ninety, and he still hits you in a full season. He's, he's like, that was one of the things I loved about Salvi. I talked about it. 27, 27, 22, 21. So he's good for basically 20 plus homers. He's going to drive in, you know, 88 plus runs. He's going to score around 55, 60 runs. That was like a standard him. And that's when he hit 260. Like, if he goes and it's 290, hitting in the middle of that order, he's good for 130-plus games a year. He'll probably DH more now than he did before because the way the Royals roster is compared to when he was younger uh, on the Royals. So he might be good for close to 140 ball games. Uh, these are all things that I like a lot about Salvi. So I have no problem where he's going, obviously. I agree with him. I think there's a lot to like about him. I think that a thing we've noticed, okay, so a lot of guys have seen line drive rates go up, and we've also seen other contact rates go down and their swing and miss go up, I think they're all – it's like a new philosophy kind of guys don't care about striking out, so they're being more aggressive. It's like, screw it. We're just as hard as we can and see what happens, and we'll see what the end result is. Now, band average is probably not going to be the best consistency there, but the power numbers will be. 
And that's just one of those things. We called. Jose Batista was like the first example of that. He flat out said it. I'm just going to go try to hit a home run every time out there. And it, it started the show. So uh, Salvi could be another one of those guys. We'll see. But, yeah, I have no problem with him at number two. Yeah. And and like you mentioned, like the contact rate dip for him, but he's still rock solid. He's still below league average in terms of strikeout rate. Um, you know, and and I think that helps him be a little bit more consistent. And like you said before, before the injuries, I mean, you look at his page and it's just so damn consistent. It's mm-hmm. it's wonderful. He's the Jose Abreu of catchers. And he's yeah, and he's only 30. I mean, that's the yeah, thing that's is we always think he's that. super old because he's been mm-hmm. around forever. But dude's only 30. I mean, he's just – he's entering those, his prime right now. Not really, but – And those knees, got a, those knees got a year off while you got Tommy Johnson. Yeah, to totally. rest, Which – Man, man is coming back fresh. fresh. Yep, yeah. he's coming back fresh. But let's go to the number three catcher off the board, Mr. Will Smith from the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's going to pick 99, so just behind Salvi. I mentioned the two early mocks. He was second off the board at 111 a little before Salvi. I have him right fourth in my catchers, mm-hmm. but, um, and that was mainly due to Austin Barnes, I believe is still hanging around and we've seen what, uh, Mr. Roberts does there. So that's my only concern with Will play. You told me 135 plus games right now. I'd like to lock that in. So what's your thoughts on Will Smith? Yeah. I mean, he's a tough one because the profile is just so nice. He does everything that you want him to do, right? He's got phenomenal play at discipline, um, really good contact skills, like great contact skills. Um, he hits the ball in the air a lot. Ground ball rate at 23.7%. He hits the ball hard. Um, I have, I should check his stat cast stuff really quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's everything that all you want to see, right? Like, it's all good. I actually think this is one instance where I'm not sure what Steamer has done with his projection because they're projecting him to hit, like, 237 235 is his projection, um, 378, 357 plate appearances. And again, you know, Steamer doesn't really like, there's definitely some there, there when it comes to their projection of playing time, but you know, it's November. So, right. We'll, we'll be able to have a better idea of what that is, but on a per plate appearance basis, everything looks really good except for the batting average. And I just wonder a little bit about whether, you know, that's, accurate you know like his his strikeout rate this year was 16.1 percent they're the steamers projecting a 24 percent strikeout rate but when you look at his contact numbers i mean 85 percent contact rate overall is like elite stuff so i would anticipate an elite um strikeout rate so again um i i see no problems with with will smith you know in fact like what what a good comp might be is like uh is like uh, Yasmani Grandal who hits for more for a better batting average uh, because it's a very similar like plate discipline profile profile I think but just a much better contact rate so I, I actually really like him as well I mean I think you know I think he's obviously one of the best catchers in the game I do worry a little bit about Barnes hanging around and and how the Dodgers manner manage that over a full season just because like right I mean it's the Dodgers they're going to be like twenty games up you know, in first place over the Giants who will get a wild card, you know, next year. Um, and so that that's my only concern is kind of like that little bit of Dodgers, how are they going to do this? But he's a phenomenal player, and, and I don't necessarily – I think the steamer projection is off on him. I, I don't um, – you know, this steamer is a lot smarter than I am, but I, I think that there, there needs to be a little bit of more of a look on his batting average there. 
Yeah, and even if you know we think Barnes is involved, which I think he will be because the Dodgers steamer has him for eighty nine games. Like he's still going to get like two thirds of the action. So mm-hmm. eighty eighty nine is pretty pretty low there. The kid's super talented. I remember two years ago when he came up, I spent a lot of fab to get him on my roster, and it paid off in a big way. Mm-hmm. And he had a slow he had a slow start to twenty twenty, and then he picked it up. So the level's definitely there. I have no problem with them going third overall. I guess I have him fourth, but it's more just a question. I want to see see what kind of rumors and talks start coming out of camps next year and what they do with Austin Barnes because he'll Austin will catch at least one guy every fifth day. That's just how it's going to go, and he might squeeze in a few other times. So I want to see where that goes first. I know they'll sneak Will Smith into the, the DH role because Roberts was using it as a day off for his starting nine. He's rotating it around. So he'll get some DH spots there as well. But that's my only concern is Austin Barnes and seeing where that one goes. All right, the fourth short uh, catcher off the board. This one kind of surprised me that he's jumped up to fourth in front of a few other guys. He had a monster season. There's no denying that. But Travis Darnod going to pick 132, fourth catcher off the board. He was the sixth catcher off the board in the two early mocks at 153. I know I have him ranked at five, uh, five overall, so not too far off here. But you look at the Rasball player rater even, and Travis Darno was third on the player rater. Will Smith, for reference, was sixth. Um, went JT, Salvi, Travis Darnold at third. So he had a very, very good year. But it's one of those, is it sustainable? Toby, what's your thoughts on Travis going to 2021? Yeah, I mean, he's the one guy going among the top catchers that I'm not really that interested in. Um, you know, at least in the first six guys. Like, I probably won't have any shares of Diarno. I mean, I think he's he's good. He's good. I think the challenge with him is, um, you know, he had a 4-11 Babbitt, right? Um, and it's not to say that he didn't hit the ball very hard. Like, he hit the ball well. He hit it really hard. But we know that, you know, stat cast metrics and quality of contact metrics regress as well. So when you look, you look at, like, kind of what he did, his ground ball rate actually went up you know, by 3%, you know, the line drive rate shot up to 26, 27%. But again, that's not necessarily in line with where he's been throughout his career. You know, he's been closer to 20% during his career. And so if, if those move over to fly balls, then that Babbitt comes down, you know, the batting average comes down a little bit. He's obviously in a great situation with the Braves, Um, you know, in the middle of that lineup, uh, he's been terrific. You know, his plate discipline is it leaves a little bit to be desired, you know, but um, the contact rate also went down this year. So, again, um, you know, I think he's solid. I just worry about the the price right here, um, you know, with where he's um, where he's going. I mean, one pick 132, it's not the worst thing in the world, but there's just guys behind him that I think I'd rather have um, in this spot. So. That's what I will. Uh, that that that's what I'll say. And again, with his plate appearances, it will be really interesting. Um, you know, I can't remember exactly how the Braves were using him this year. I know that he played a little bit of first base, but it was probably just when Freddie Freeman was injured initially or out on, with COVID. So you know, again, I don't know if he'll have the same plate appearances as a Salvi, as a JTR. Um, you know, to really drive up. Uh, some of the other metrics and and he definitely overperformed in my eyes. So again, you know, solid player, but not, I, I don't think I'm going to want to pay that price given some of the other guys that are in this neighborhood. 
Yeah, he's a really tricky one for me because yeah, four eleven Babbitt, that's not sustainable. It's pretty pretty obvious stuff there. I could see hitting like two eighty. I think that'd be awesome, even though he's really never done that in his career either. It's been like two fifty ish uh most of the time. So it's just tricky. Like the power is legit. We know like he can hit you sixteen to twenty homers. Uh, most likely, I think. I think the developed power is, is what we're seeing. The barrel rate jumped four percent. That's a big jump. Again, is it sustainable? You mentioned the quality of contact uh, dropped, or the overall contact dropped a bit, which is, is is tough. Walk rate went up though. Strikeout rate went up. He's just a, a tough one, a tough nut, tough nut to crack. But he's definitely not going to get you a three twenty one batting average. Even in the postseason, we saw a two eighty six average, which is very very good in his 12 games and 50 plate appearances there. I think that might be more in line with what you're going to get there. He is, though, like the caveat you mentioned, he will play first base from time to time. He will DH from time to time. He's another guy that can get you extra at-bats. That's a plus. That's a big plus. Um, I don't mind him going this high. it, It is hard to pull the trigger, like you said, to get him this high. But it's one of those, I think, like we talked about JT, if you don't get one of the top guys, but you still want to get two of the kind of top guys, Guys will start reaching for Travis here, and mm-hmm. that's where that's where it starts to come up. Because if you if you pass on Travis now, you got to start like double dipping at catcher, which never seems attractive at all. Like I just really, you feel like you're passing up so much value between a pitcher or an outfielder or something. You're just like, oh no. So I think that's where this is going here. It's an it's an idea of I'm getting a catcher that supplies bad and average, which there's not a ton that do that, and then he also has pop hitting that Braves lineup. So that's kind of mm-hmm. where I see Travis going on this one. Yeah, and one thing to think about, too, is how that roster comes together for the Braves. If Ozuna doesn't resign, then those DH plate appearances do open up a little bit, and so that could change, you know, it could change the context a little bit for him. And just, you know, Steamer has him projected as a, at, a, at a 256 batting average, which is actually higher than his career average, but obviously well below, um, you know, what he did this year and and. And whether or not he's able to improve on that, we'll, we'll, we will see in the next full season that we got. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. It's quite the gap from career highs yeah. to his career average. Uh, the fifth catcher off the board, Wilson Contreras, pick 136. This is the guy I have ranked uh, third overall in my rankings. And two early mocks had Wilson going fifth overall at 140. So pretty close to uh, 136. The two early mocks and the regulars going off there. Wilson Contreras, fourth on the Rasball Player Raider. He to me, like uh, doing my rankings, I was thinking, okay, Wilson's a good player. What did he do in 2020? He kind of surprised me because it was like a quiet, very good season, a very quiet, yeah. good season with Wilson Contreras, and that's kind of the thing we want. Then I was thinking back, okay, I know we've talked about him in the past. He's been kind of struggling. Well, 2019 wasn't that bad either for Wilson Contreras. It's just been kind of a quiet go for a guy that's just consistently good. I, I think most of us think back to 2018 when he really, really struggled. Um, yeah. But uh, he's he's put. To, Back-to-back, pretty solid seasons together. Uh, what do you have on Wilson Contreras, who will, I believe, be entering oh, – no, he's, still, he's got a couple more years of free agency. But there are rumors of being traded because a couple of years of our belt eligibility left as the Cubs get ready to rebuild as well. Something to quietly think about in the background. Yeah, I think um, uh, I like Contreras a lot as well. I think because the Cubs lineup this year was so weak, you know, he did end up playing a lot of DH. Um Maybe even no, not first base because Rizzo is there. It was DH that he was. Yeah, he was Caratini would play first base when that happened. Yeah, yeah, and so um, yeah, so I love that, and I could see that happening again in 2020, you know, or 2021. I think the Cubs are going to be pretty conservative in terms of how they build their roster. 
Um, I don't think they're going to add any big names. I think they're going to kind of probably add some of the younger players in their system and give them, you know, more of a shot or maybe, you know, some outfielders on one year deals on the cheap, something like that. You could see him getting like an Adam Eaton or something like that. Um, but, and so I think he does have the opportunity to kind of be in that JTR um, Salvi conversation for the number of plate appearances that he get. And so for that reason, I really do um, like him a lot. And I do think, I think there, there's, I think there's solid production and I can see some upside as well. Uh, it would take some skill gains, but he's been in the majors a long time already. He's still pretty young. He's got power, you know, two consecutive years with a barrel rate above 10%. You know, his exit velo is solid. Um, he's got a little bit of speed, you know, it hasn't really gotten to that five stolen base mark that he hit, you know, a few years back, but he, he will get you a couple stolen bases, which is nothing to sneeze at, you know, at the position and, and he's going to hit in the middle of the, the Cubs lineup. And that should be, that should be improved too. I mean, it's kind of remarkable that he was able to score 37 runs, you know, as a catcher in the Cubs lineup when everybody hit like 200. Um, so I think both opportunities to score runs, but then also RBI, right? Like the OBP of some of these guys that normally is pretty strong was pretty low for him. So again, I really, I really like him a lot. Um, you know, any of the guys that we've covered so far, you know, maybe minus the DR no, just because I I don't like the value I'd be totally happy to have as my catcher one. And, and, you know, if I was going to try to do a strategy where I really honed in on getting two really good, um, catchers to in a two catcher league, then I, I would certainly like to have any of these guys as my catcher too. After I draft JT Realmuto, yes. No, this would be a heck of a combo with Realmuto because I think Wilson Contreras. I don't know if this is going to obviously one NFBC draft, but if he continues to go at this price point, I'd be a big fan of this pick. Like I, I like him a lot. As I was mentioning earlier, kind of digging in on him about a week or so ago thinking, man, he's actually been really good. 57 games played in a 60 game season for a catcher is remarkable. And like you said, he's getting the DH a lot. He used to play first base before Caratini came and did that. Um, he's been very, very good. When you just look at his overall stats, you know, strikeout rate, it's gone up a little bit, but still relatively the same. The walk rates dropped a little bit, but still, you know, not horrible in around 9% isn't bad for a catcher. He, you know, gets you a bag or two here and there. The average, you know, he had a great 2019 and 2017 with the rest of it's around 250, but that's catchers. Like, that's actually – that's a lot of baseball, to be honest. But uh, catchers hitting 250 in the middle of that Cubs order, which I 100% agree cannot be worse than it was last year because we love Schwarber. That was disappointing. Rizzo, he quietly was okay, but still not nearly what he should be. Bryant's garbage, and you'd imagine he comes back, but he's a, he's a sore point on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have Ian, Ian Happ, who's been playing well. There's a lot to like there with the Cubbies. Baez has to bounce back. Like, man, you just go around the diamond and think about what went wrong in Chicago. And like you said, if all of that happens or even half of those guys bounce back, that's huge for Wilson Contreras. So I'm, I'm a big fan of what he does. I think he's very valuable as a right behind a, a Salvi Perez or a, or a JT Real Muto. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if he passes Salvi and finishes second because unless Real Muto gets hurt, God forbid, I don't see many people passing him until things really change in his overall profile of his offensive profile, but Wilson could finish number two. I'm pretty confident of that. So I like him with this price point. I think it's a phenomenal value, and he might be a guy that I'm going to be circling to try to, to snag in, in many drafts, especially early before things change. So I find it hard to believe he stays behind like Darnold, and I think he creeps closer to Will Smith. I think I think he's much more. I think he's better than Will Smith, but I think he creeps closer to Will Smith come draft day. So yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. 
Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Like he really struggled out the out of the gate, not necessarily in terms of production, but um, just from a skill perspective. And then he was really, really good from a skill skill perspective. And I think that's really important to look at in this season. I was on a pod earlier this week, and um, you know, normally spring training is you know five, six weeks, I think, something like that, five weeks. And they only got three this year after COVID. And so a lot of hitters were really slow to adjust and they really struggled out of the gate. And there's a couple examples that we're going to cover in the podcast today that kind of highlight that. But for instance, with Contreras, you know, he had this, he had one of his lower contact rates, you know, uh, his 25 game rolling average was, was one of the lower ones he's seen. Actually, it was the lowest it's been in three years for him kind of, in the middle of the season. And then he had his highest um, uh, in zone contact rate uh, of any of any point in the last three years, over 25 games towards the end of the year. And so it just shows you like, you know, I think that that might be a good way to identify some value, right? We're dealing with small sample sizes, but if there are guys who over the course of a season, maybe struggled or didn't produce like you thought they did, but when you take a look at their, at their um, skills, you know, they kind of started out slow, but then improved as the season progresses. That might be a good sign, not necessarily that the guy's going to get to some other skill level, but that, you know, maybe it was just, you know, getting making those adjustments that they, you would normally have done towards the end of spring training, but you had to do those in season this year. No, I'm 100% with you. I think it's it's a trend we've seen with a lot of guys. Heck, I'm not going to go deep in it, but Alberto Montesi, short, small start, yeah. got it going late. A lot of guys can, can be in that conversation, so it's definitely something to think about. I'm not smart enough or talented enough with like expel cell spreadsheets, but I'd be curious to say how these guys do after the first month of the season and do a whole sheet and then rank them that way or something. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be fun to see how that played out. Just uh, on Fangraphs, you can just go to last third last thirty days. Yes, you know? that's true. I, I can't look at the leaderboard. Out. That's true. I can't. Um, out. So that's interesting. So yeah. Let's, let's no, I mean, I, th- I, th- I actually think like I did that like after the season ended and it's just really interesting to see who pops out like pitchers and hitters. There are, I think is some really interesting guys that I kind of dove in on after I looked at that, because in my head I was thinking like, ah, they had a crappy season or whatever, but then you kind of see, Oh, wait a second. They actually did turn it around. And over 30 games, the thing is you could turn it around skills wise over 30 yeah. games and never have the results show. Right. And so those are the types of guys that we can get values on because we've seen that there was actually something different going on in the second half, but maybe their, maybe their results didn't necessarily show that. And so it just looked like they were God awful the whole year. Yeah. And there's not one that like pops off in my head right now, but I know I've talked about a few, like on my DFS show in the season that I'm all, it's going to start clicking soon because the hard hit rates are through the roof and all these, like just, you know, you don't like the term bad luck, but the guy was getting bad luck to death, like Abbott to death and all those kind of things. And you can kind of see those things. Those would be guys to look for, like you're saying. Okay, who who turned it around? It just didn't fall for him, type stuff. So totally. Interesting, who, interesting who, who's the opposite of Dar- Darno? Right? Like there you go. He had a four. He had a four eleven Babbitt. Who's the guy with like a one ninety Babbitt? Yep. You know, Garrison. Hundred <laughs> percent. But he kind of has started doing that routinely, which is absolutely I was about to say, bizarre. I was right? about to say a, a rough patch. How long is the rough patch? Three years? What are we, what like are we going seven hundred? Seven to eight hundred play appearances. It's actually fascinating. I ha- I have it's absolutely fascinating. His Babip over the last three years is like two oh five, which I'm sure is probably it's gotta be sixty points lower than any other player in all of baseball. And so you're just like, that can't be real. But at this point, yeah. you're kind of like, is it real? Like 
It's tough. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to figure out when somebody is that much of an outlier in something, you know, just historically. So, um, yeah. It's wild. Let's go to number six here. The Chicago White Sox has Monty Grandal switch hitter, OBP extraordinaire. Like if this was an OBP league, he would climb up their list a little higher. But sixth overall, pick 144. If you look at two early mocks, he's fourth overall at 138.6. So pretty similar draft spot. Uh, Rasball player Raider had Yasmani Grandal as the seventh catcher. And one last thing I would mention is I have Yasmani as eighth overall. I'm kind of down on him a little bit this year. Not a ton, just a little bit. What's your take on Yasmani going into 2021? Yeah, I, I like him a lot. Um, you know, I think he is a guy, I've got to dive into the skills a little bit, but he started off really rough um, this year. But, you know, you look at the final line, eight home runs, 27 runs, 27 RBIs. The 230 average, you know, isn't great, but, you know, compared to like a league average of, you know, whatever it was, 250 this year, um, pretty good. Continues to be kind of the same guy. He hits the ball in the air a ton. You know, he walks a bunch, like you mentioned, so he gets on base a lot. He scores. Um, he scores runs, you know, which for the catcher position is actually a pretty pretty phenomenal thing because there's not a lot of catchers because they're batting towards the back end of the lineup, you know, um, because they they are don't they don't get on base very often. Like uh there aren't a lot of guys who contribute in runs. And so the fact that he is he is doing that and does that on a pretty consistent basis, I think is a pretty good bonus. And so I think, you know, the price for me should be about where it was um, heading into last year. And I think it's lower than that. And so I can see myself um, having a lot of shares of Grandal. I'm just trying to take a peek just really quickly at, um, you know, what kind of happened for him throughout the season. Interesting. You know, his skills actually got, got worse as the season progressed. Um, But, you know, he still was able to, uh, to contribute. So um, again, you know, I think he's solid. Like if you look at the dollar valuations, I didn't mention these on other guys, but it's like JT Real Muto is 27. Perez is 25. Um, DRNO is 13. Contreras is 14. They have Grandal, you know, the projection at $20 worth $20. So, you know, again, very solid. I think the only issue with him is right. Is we think about him as getting a ton of plate appearances you know, which he may, but, you know, well, actually, I mean, depending on what they do with Encarnacion, yes, this could exactly. actually be a huge, because they declined the option. So yes. they're not going to have him on the team, probably. He, yes. he looked really bad. So it's a question of, like, do they replace him with another DH guy, or is that kind of Grandal's, you know, what is Tony LaRusa going to do? Oh, you know? gosh. Yeah. I, I, I keep trying uh, to forget about that. Yeah. So... So, but but really, like that could be a huge boon for for Grandall's value if 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 it turns out that he's gonna if they plan to mix him in at DH a lot, I, I think that could really boost him up. And going where he he went in this first NFBC draft, you know, around one pick one forty four, you know, I'm all I'm, I'm all over that. I, I love uh, I love that price as well. There's a there's a few guys here that where they're going right now. I'd be like, yeah, this is dope. Yeah, I was big on Grandal last year, and then they signed Encarnacion. I kind of backed off because I was excited about the DH possibility for him. That could be back this year, and that would be tremendous. There's just there's a few things that just stand out to me to kind of make me scratch my head because uh, 2018 and 2019 were his big years, and he had barrel rates over 11%. Last year, it dropped to 7.5. Mm-hmm. That makes me wonder, okay, what happened here? Hard hit rate was higher than it's, it's ever been uh, since 2016, at least. That was good. Strikeout rate jumped uh, 7% or 7.5, almost 8%. 
from last season. A bit concerning there for me as well. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out like what the heck happened with him. And I am not the expert on exactly what meatball percentage swing percentage is. I, I have an idea on what meatballs are. I've, I've played baseball enough to know what a meatball pitch is. But his meatball swing percentage dropped from anywhere from the high 60s to low 70s to 47.5%. So is he not seen the pitch as well? Like that is a dramatic drop off, like a humongous drop off on some of the pitches that you can feast on. And that could explain the 4% barrel changes. That could explain a lot of things right there because everything else for the most part lines out. Okay. Like sure. His contact rate dropped a little bit and stuff. Maybe you can let that go for a one year thing, but what caused him attacking some of the best pitches to hit dropped almost 30%. What was that? That's what I want to know. Cause the strikeout rate goes up. I mean, he's probably chasing things out of the zone. Was he in his head too much? Was he trying to guess curveball and he's got to throw a fastball in the middle of the plate and watch it. What was it with Grundahl? Cause other than that, Babbitt was higher than Spence in 2017, which is is pretty crazy. Um, he really, really underachieved is the way I look at it. And he's very talented, so this could be an extreme value, as you were saying. Or is there something there we don't know yet? Because that that meatball thing stands out to me in a big way. That's a shocking drop-off in percentage-wise. So mm-hmm. could be something silly. could be nothing. could be absolutely nothing. But I'm curious to know what caused such a big fall in that one. He's got a special place in my heart, too, because in his last yeah. at-bat of the season, he hit a home run, and that, that won me at D.C. Uh, I thought you were going to make that out the gate. I was like, I know why you like him so much. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I was down a half point, and I was um, – and then I was – and I was one homer down and one RBI down. And so he hits the jack, and then I – so I collected a half, two half points and went up and, and, and took it. So I appreciate him forever for that. <laughs> All right, the seventh catcher off the board, Christian Vasquez, pick 159. And I know I was very hesitant to trust Vasquez after his awesome 2019. Well, he came back in 2020 and was great, fifth in the Rasball Player Raider. Uh, I mentioned he's going to pick uh, 159 in NFBC. When you look at two early mocks, eighth catcher off the board at 196, so quite a, a bump on that one as well. And I even have Vasquez ranked right ahead of Grandal at seventh for me, so he's seventh. On NFBC, what do you see in Vasquez, who's now been able to do it back-to-back years, especially this year with a Red Sox team that's let's just say wasn't that good? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really struggle with, um, you know, it's always so hard. Um, I kind of struggle with these guys because for Vasquez, what I saw was, you know, a guy who had a had a career high of five home runs previously, right? You know, and all of a sudden he hits 23 on a 16% home run per fly ball rate. So, you know, and and I don't know what the breakdown for home and away is. I should probably check that out. Um, you know, uh, no, he hit more away. Yeah, I mean, I just, um, I don't know. It's just really hard for me to buy into the power, but it's two consecutive years that he's done it. Um, I think it was Brian Bogle had a question that was really good. Like when I drafted JT Real Muto in the two early mock, he was like, well, why draft Real Muto there where, you know, you have, um, you could get Vasquez, you know, however much later. And I mean, I think it's a really good question, right? Because we have two consecutive years of, of solid batting average. Obviously I think maybe a little bit, a little bit of overperformance this year with the 341 BABIP. He's only done that one time before, you know, two consecutive years of, of a decline in his contact rate, you know, doesn't have the great, the greatest plate discipline, the metrics don't necessarily jump off the, 
you know, off the bat bat for you, like in terms of like quality of contact at all. But, you know, again, he's now done this for, for a year and a half. And so, you know, and the stolen bases are nice. So I think as, um, you know, he's, I guess he's the, maybe the type of guy that I wouldn't want to have as my, as my lead, as my catcher one, but maybe I'd be more cap, uh, comfortable as my catcher two, depending on who I got. Like maybe if I got like Salvi, I would like to pair him with like a Vasquez for the, for a little bit of the speed or something like that. But I'm just not fully bought in yet. Um, and I, I don't know if I will be, I need to do a little bit more digging to figure out whether, whether, whether I am, um, because the thing is like, it's just, you know, it works for every player, but it's like, you just don't want to be the, you just don't want to get pay for these guys a year too late, you know, and where it can really just go a little bad, a little sideways. So I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's tough. Um, you know, he's, he certainly has played well now for the last two, for the last two seasons. Yeah, it's tricky. The powers there again, this, this last year is ISO dropped about tw- almost a little over 25%, which is uh 25 points, I should say, which is uh, quite a drop off for, for a little season there, but still seven home runs is very good. Uh, the Babbitt was 341 compared to 305. That might not be sustainable, but still had a 283 average compared to 276 last year. Biggest thing, four stolen bases again, four more steals in four straight seasons at catcher. That's a very nice nod, especially four steals in 47 games this past season. That's something else to keep in mind. Uh, the barrel rate dropped a little bit from last year, but still kind of with his, you know, 4.6 this year, 5.9 last year. Not a massive barrel guy. The hard hit rate stayed the same. Strikeout rate went up. Walk rate went up as well. So it seems like, you know, the swing and miss there, the quality of contact dropped. We saw that, or overall contact. I always say quality, overall contact dropped but he's also walking more which is good to see um but looking at his x stats it's a little scary so yeah three average 224 x batting average 457 slug 350 x slug these are big differences here 340 well but 277 x woba uh, like he had gaps last year 331 to 317 okay that's still not great but 340 to 277 he had a 317 x will bacon so uh, x woba on contact 317. That's not good. Like, that's not good at all. The thing I can credit the home runs to, if you look at his like his career, 2017 a launch angle of 8 degrees, and it, it went 12.8, 13.2, 14.4. So he's elevating the ball a lot more. That's one thing he's definitely doing. So there had to be some kind of swing change about two years ago. That's something that he had to have worked on. But when we see the overall contact dropping, the swing and miss happening more, the X stats, we've talked about a lot of these guys, and they're kind of here and there. But these are some massive gaps, like serious gaps to consider. Um, he's I'm not going to say he's going to be a 224 hitter, like the XBA says, but I would say maybe more like a 250, 240 to 250. And he still might hit you 15 plus homers. He might still steal you seven bags. But can you? are you good knowing I'm not getting 280? That's what it comes down to with him. And I think I am because I, I've said many times on this show now, the new era of baseball, like ideally you still want a good batting average. But nowadays, a good batting average isn't 300 as much as it is 265. So if your catcher's hitting you 250, it's not crushing you like it used to. So I'm okay with Vasquez. At the same time, there's a lot of red flags there. I'll be completely honest. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is important is sometimes it's okay to be wrong on guys. You know, like if you you have a process, if you look at guys and, you know, your process or, or the things that you look for in a player tell you that, 
the guy wasn't as good as he was supposed to be or something like that. Like, you know, don't, don't change your process to, to be like, Oh, well, you know, maybe I'll include that guy now because that just, it just feels bad if that guy, if that guy doesn't hit and you can still win not getting that guy, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, he, he'll be a guy that I probably don't have any shares of again. Um, and maybe I'll regret that, but you know, it's just, just like last year, there was just too many things that just didn't, didn't line up. Yeah. It's odd. Now the next guy, eighth overall, this is a fun one. It'll be really fun to watch his ADP kind of move around throughout drafting. This is Austin Nola going around pick 164 in NFBC ADP on two early mocks went 200.4. The ninth catcher off the board there. When you look at the um, player Raider, this is how good he was. Austin Nola finished uh, 12th, which, you know, stands out considering he was Seattle, traded to San Diego, got quite the bump there. I have him rated, I believe, yes, sixth. I like what we get out of Austin Nola. He's a little bit of everything, and now he's in that San Diego lineup. What are your thoughts on Austin Nola? Yeah, I mean, I think Nola is really solid. I think he does everything really well, most things really well, really great plate discipline. I mean, really good eye. He makes a lot of contact. He's kind of like a Will Smith light, I think, because he doesn't have the quality of contact that Will Smith does, but he has a fairly similar profile when it comes to plate discipline, um, you know, contact rate. He's just, um, I think he's really solid. Um, you know, he's in a really good context with with the Padres, and I think he'll be the the starter there, and, and they kind of move people around. So he, I think he got a little second base. He got a little bit of first base. So I, I'm a I'm a fan. I think he's um, I think he's a he's a really solid um, catcher, and I think the one thing that may be missing just slightly is that quality of contact. But it's it's still fine. You know, it's not it's not it's not awful. So um, you know his his dollar value is a little hard to get to. I, I got to crunch some numbers because um, he's a, he's listed as a first baseman in my spreadsheet. So I got to figure out, but. Um, he has a similar profile to guys that are around ten dollars. Um, so again, you know, really solid guy. Where he's going right now, I have no problem with this at all. If you miss out on kind of the the more elite tier of catchers, um, I think he's a really solid bet. Yeah, a guy that's going to get you a really strong batting average. Got some pop in that uh, San Diego lineup. He can play other positions, like you said. So he doesn't have to catch every day. Had to save the body a bit if they need him to. His. Uh, Contact, like hard hit rate keeps going up, strikeout rate drops, walk rate goes up, barrel rate, like everything you want to see, Austin Nola is doing. Like he's a very quality player. I like the comp. Uh, some, a lot of the stuff similar to Will Smith's page. A lot of his stats, a lot of his production. He's going to be 31, which is interesting. But uh, since he finally, he got his first hit, cup of coffee in 2019, he's a career minor leaguer for quite some time. Obviously, he did something to change things. Power started developing. Average was there. And and now you have uh, the Austin Nola we we know and love, and I'm a big fan of getting him at the catcher position if you're in need. All right, this is the one that's going to be so much fun to talk about. Oh yeah, the ninth catcher off the board. This might be the last year you get to draft him as a catcher. Top catching prospect for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Dalton Varsho, going to pick 182. I will put money on it right now. He goes a lot higher than that by the end of March. I'm just going to say that right now, unless he gets hurt. He'll go much higher than that. Um, when you look at two early mocks, he went at 247, the 11th catcher off the board. I have him ranked 10th out of mine. He's ninth on the list. People say my 10th is too low. I'm going to let you have the floor first and see what you have to say because I have some thoughts on Austin, uh, uh, Dalton Varsha. What are your thoughts on him? 
Yeah, he's just a wild card, right? Um, I mean, I think a lot of it will will have a much clearer sense of, of, I think, heading into spring training of what to expect. Like what outfielders have the D-back signed, what catchers have the D-back signed. They obviously have Carson Kelly. Um, and so, you know, uh, shout out to Dave Petriazello, who I know uh, uh, loves loves him some, some Carson Kelly. And we have a question later on about that. But you have Carson Kelly. You have Stephen Vogt, who's, um, uh, who's who's a free agent this year now. You know, so whether they re-sign him or not, you know, doesn't really matter that much. It's more just about, like, is there a place in, for him in the lineup or how many guys need to get injured for him to be in the lineup? Is he going to have, like, even if he plays, like, every, every other day, I mean, the projection that I have for him is 10 stolen bases and and 12 home runs, I think. Something like that is what Steamer's projecting him as. And a 10 and 10 at, at the catcher position is just really good. And then if he somehow finds his, himself in everyday play plate appearances in the outfield, I mean, that could be incredibly, incredibly, incredibly valuable. Because, I mean, he has pedigree as a prospect. He's a first-round uh, sandwich pick, I think. And, you know, his minor league career was really solid. Like he kept the K rate low, which I thought was really nice. Steamer has him projected as a night at a 19.1% K rate, which is great. So he's got a lot of the pieces just in terms of plate discipline. And um, well, plate, plate discipline is all right. I don't think it's, it's extraordinary. It's fine, but nice contact skills. He's got that speed. I mean, it's a really interesting profile and at pick 180, it's very tempting to go there. Um, but like you mentioned, if we have more information about like, oh, guess what? He's the starting, you know, center fielder or whatever. I mean, you could see him going um, early, very, mm-hmm. very high because a 20 stolen base catcher, a 20 and 10 catcher, like he plays every day. Yeah. Damn. I mean, that's, that's some gold right there. So it'll be really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see it. I think, I think he's going to be one of those guys. He's either a, a, you crush it or you, you swing and miss. Yeah. He's a guy I don't mind swinging and missing on. I think there's, like you said, the prospect pedigree is amazing. He's 24. He'll be 25 next July. So he's still getting better. Uh, I don't really take last season's numbers into like too much concern, even though he did steal three bags in 37 games, hit three homers, the average and everything. I think that's the guy that, A, getting his first cup of coffee, and, B, they were playing him so inconsistently till the end. They were moving him around. Uh, they had him leading off some days, hitting ninth. Other, they had him all over the board. I think once next season starts, he's going to be playing here. He's going to be hitting here for the most part. This is where he's playing because the D-backs were trading guy. They're moving roster stuff, and Varsho is kind of getting moved around like a chess piece. That's all he was. They wanted to get him at bats. They didn't care how they did it, basically, even though they should be smart enough to know by now that, you know, kid need a, a program. Like, that's just the way it's going to work, but hey, whatever. But the things you hit on there, I had James Anderson on a couple weeks ago to talk about a lot of the young players going into 2021, and Varsha was a very popular name that questions were asked on. And James believes, I think, at least 15 steals and 15, like at least 15 15 is very, very doable, if not more. And like you said, as a catcher, that is insane. And I, I mentioned at the beginning very, very clearly for people. This might be the only year he gets to draft him as a catcher because I believe, and I believe James thought so as well, there's a very high chance they just want to make him a full-time outfielder. He's not going to catch. Carson Kelly's there, like you said. I think the plan is to have him like on a corner outfield position 
and just run wild. That's what they're gonna. That's what they want to have him do. And if that's the case, that's fine for this year. You got a guy playing nearly every day, power, speed. If you're doing early drafts, you should be snagging up all the Varsho you can right now at this price point, even if it doesn't hit. It's just crazy not to, because he's going to be going as a top five, if not higher catcher, when we find out he plays every day. That's just how he's going to be, and you're going to have to decide then, do you pay the price? Like right now, Toby, if you drafted, you can get Real Muto and Varsho at both reasonable prices and just have – you can have the potential to have like almost 30 stolen bases at the catcher's position, which is asinine. So, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Sounds exciting. <laughs> All right, let's go to the tenth catcher off the board here, Sean Murphy, Oakland A's. I like that. I like that he's getting love. I was worried people wouldn't be uh, in on Murphy, but I guess they saw the end of the season with him. They saw his postseason, which was pretty strong. But going to pick one eighty four, tenth catcher off the board. Two early mocks had him as the tenth catcher at two hundred four, so a lot of similarities there. Um, when you look at the uh, Rasball Player Rater, I always like to look at this just for. Fun to see how guys really panned out. He was a 14th catcher off the board, and that kind of goes back to what I said about the kind of the slow start he had, but then the strong, strong finish. I have him as my ninth catcher overall. So what's your thoughts on Sean Murphy going into 2020? Yeah, I mean, StatCast darling. I mean, he was, um, you know, he just – the StatCast metrics look really, really good for him. Um, again, a similar profile to Will Smith in the sense that you know, really strong plate discipline, uh, good contact skills, not at that same caliber as, as Nola and Smith, you know, the 80 plus percent uh, contact rate, but a solid contact rate better than league average. Um, just all around solid, really good lineup with the A's. Um, and again, like the StatCast metrics were all well above league average. And I know that he had a really big gap between his 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 Woba and expected Woba, I think at least. I shouldn't say that I know, but I remember at some point in time, he was one of the biggest you know, kind of underperformers compared to what um, the expected metrics thought he should be doing. Now, I don't think he's probably very fast. I don't know what his batted ball, like whether he just like pulls the ball a ton or, or what into shifts. But um, yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's, he's really solid, um, uh, really solid, solid guy with, with some upside. So I think this seems, this seems reasonable for him. Yeah. I like him a lot. His barrel rate grew 4%. Hard hit rate grew 12% to 49.4. But the things that stood out to me a lot, you know, going into the last few seasons, he had uh, last year 10% walk rate, uh, 10.7% in AAA the year before. This year he had a 17.1% walk rate. His uh, Now is he going to do 17 again? Probably not. But he's a double-digit walk guy showing he has a very nice OBP. Because his average will – he's not a big average guy, 240-ish, give or take. But his OBP is going to be great for you in those kind of formats – Tons and tons of power. You mentioned the stat cast metrics. It, it's really, really crazy. And he's another one of those guys, if you go and look at like um, his game logs and maybe even just go back like his last 30 days or so, big differences in overall production, especially when it comes to like plate discipline and power and whatnot. You see a big shift in what he did last year, and he carried into the postseason a bit. I, I like him quite a, quite a bit going into 2020. I think um, – I'm kind of bummed people caught on to it because I, I thought he'd kind of go under the radar. People wouldn't be as you know, big of fans of his, but we have a lot of smart people out there now. So that's good to see. But, yeah, Sean Murphy, top 10 catcher, very much on board with that. All right, outside of the top 10 now, 11 through 20, you got Gary Sanchez, James McCann, Jorge Alfaro, Buster Posey, Mitch Garver, Pedro Severino, Jacob Stallings, Tom Murphy, Yadi Molina, and Carson Kelly. 
who are some guys you're looking at in that range that stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, my my go-to, the guy that I always end up getting a decent amount of shares in with is, uh, is Yachty Molina. You know, again, he just continues to perform uh, great, solid, so, very solid above league average, you know, batting average. The power is not going to hurt you at the catcher position. Again, he plays a ton of plate appearances as long as, as, long as he's not injured, which has been a little bit of a challenge um, for the last couple of years. But I just think he's all around solid. I'm interested to see where he lands, you know, how they're going to utilize him because he's so used to playing every single day nearly in, in St. Louis. Does he resign there? It's looking like he might go elsewhere. Um, and if he if he does, you know, St. Louis is one of the hardest ballparks to hit in. So that could be an upgrade for him, you know, at least slightly depending on the ballpark that he ends up in. But um, I always love Yachty. I think he's always really solid, really, really good, really solid catcher too um, to have. Um, and so, you know, I imagine I'll probably have a lot of him heading into next year too, depending on the situation that he ends up in. Yeah, he's always one of those consistent guys. A lot of detail, you said, where he ends up. But uh, one of the guys I'm looking at here is Mitch Garver. And I clowned on Mitch Garver last year because he was going too high for me. Well, now he's going at the 15th catcher off the board. Or, yeah, 15th catcher, I picked 280. Now you got my attention because I he was injured a ton last year. And I think that was a massive issue with his decline in production. There might have been more to it. But at the price point, I'm willing to take the chance now because I think it's hard – to fathom a guy hit 31 homers in 2019 and then just forgot how to hit home runs. Like, yeah, pick 280. If you want to send me like 18 homers, I'll be happy about that. The Twins lineup's still going to be very, very good. I expect the boomstick to come back to town. You still got Snow. Donaldson's going to be around. You know, Polanco's there. You got the outfield of Kepler, Rosario, Buxton. The lineup is still loaded. There's still a ton to like with the Twins. Um, totally, like, just uh, I'm going to credit a lot of it to health. Uh, there's probably a few other things, but again, Credit a lot to Health. Take a little step back from 2019. Still got a very productive catcher at pick 280. So Garber's a guy that I, I want to see how spring goes for him, make sure things are going good. But uh, even if, if things start going good, I imagine this price comes back up. But I, I have no problem jumping back on Mitch Garber at uh, pick 280 compared to a top 100 pick last year. Who's your next guy? Um, yeah. And, and with Garver, I think the key two there will be the plate appearances because the twins don't like to really use them more than once every, every two. But I love the, I love the, like, don't buy when it's high, mm-hmm. you know, buy when it's low. Um, the second guy I have is Gary Sanchez, actually. I mean, I don't know. It depends on, on, on the context and the situation about whether I'll be interested in him, but he's going, he's so far down here, right? He's at pick whatever, two, two twelve. Is it, is my memory right? Two sixteen. Uh, yeah. Pick two sixteen. And one thing about him is he started out so slow, but if you look over his last, um, you know, his last 30 games, at least from a skill perspective, he was pretty much in line where we're at, where he's been for the last three years. His contact rate was up. His, um, you know, his hard hit rate was up. His ground ball rate was low. His plate discipline improved. Um, over his last 15 games, the strikeout rate was actually in line with where it's been as well in terms of 25%. So he started off really slow. You know, he's really bad. I think, I mean, he was really bad last year. I think it's just one of these situations, like I mentioned, where you're just trying to figure out, okay, like what's going on with the Babbitt, you know? Because it is like, I mean, for the amount of, for the plate appearance sample that we have, I mean, it's just an insanely low BABIP. Like how on earth can somebody put together a BABIP like this, but he's doing it. And so, 
you know, again, if he doesn't have like a 30% plus strikeout rate, if he's in the 25% range where he's been over the last three years, then his batting average is like 230 or something like that, you know, um, which is palatable in today's game, especially at this price with the power and the RBI and, and, and stuff like that that you're going to get as well. So I just think it's a situation where there could be some real upside with this pick. Depends on the team that you built. If you can kind of take in a little bit of batting average risk, you know, you know, yeah. I mean, um, uh, um, what's the other catcher that they have there? Who's going to be Cole's personal Higashioka. Yeah. Higashioka will, um, uh, will, will definitely like, you know, I'm a little worried about that becoming a little bit more than just the Garrett Cole's personal, you know, catcher. But um, again, like we've seen what the upside is. He has done it before. He's still young and he's going to be motivated. And so it just could be uh, a really nice pick here uh, at pick 216 with some real upside. So, you know, again, I don't know if I'm convinced yet, but I do think that that's a really interesting price for Gary Sanchez. Yeah, I'm curious to see if he's still a Yankee at some point next year. Yeah. So that'd be fun. That'd be fun as well. There's a few other guys you could pick, like make cases for here, obviously, but I'm going to go to Jacob Stallings of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Getting in at quite the price bump from last season. He was basically undrafted, but uh, going to pick 288 now should be the everyday catcher for the Pirates. And we saw him catch in 42 games this last season, hit 248, three home runs. Uh, the big thing for me, the strikeout, strikeout rate went up, which is a little, little concerning, but the walk rate went up to 10.5%. Like when you get catchers walking like this, and in a lot of formats are turning to OBP. Obviously, an NPC is not OBP, but a lot more are turning there. A guy like Jacob Stallings, where you can get super late, becomes very, very valuable. So, I think a guy like Stallings, who could, he's not going to crush you in batting average, got a little bit of pop. He was hitting in the middle of that Pirates order towards the end of the season. Is actually pretty darn productive overall. Like when you play DFS, he is basically free, and he hit lefties very well. Hit righties fine. Like. There's a lot to like about Stallings. We saw it towards the end of 2019, started taking over at six home runs in 71 games, hit 262. Saw 2020 pick up well, and I think 2021 could be another nice season for Stallings. So I got no problem with him to pick 288 if you're really reaching at the position as a guy I could uh, take a lunge on. All right. When you're going after pick 20, there's a ton of guys. Who are some of the ones you're uh, looking at there? Yeah, I'll just go over these pretty quickly. I mean, I think Wilson Ramos, he's going really late. Obviously, when he signs somewhere, he'll go um, uh, he'll go further up. I assume he's going to sign somewhere just because, you know, sure. he's he's still a good hitter. Yeah, I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with his hitting. Obviously, the defense needs work. But um, so he's a guy who, you know, again, like the last couple of years has been a top 200 guy. And I anticipate that, um, you know, that, that that could be some good value there. Um, Luis uh, Torrens, um, the Seattle catcher, you know, I don't know what the split is going to be between him and Tom Murphy, but I know, you know, if you look at his profile, again, very solid in terms of plate discipline, contact rate, the stat cast metrics in a small sample um, were really good as well. And Seattle traded for him in the NOLA deal, so they obviously like him. Um, and I and I could see them giving him a really good run out because Murphy, I think, is, is much older and has been around for a while. And so uh, I like Torrens as a potential, you know, starting catcher for Seattle with some definite offensive upside. Uh, Danny Jansen, you know, our favorite guy. He's just every year he's about 100 picks later, 150, 250, 350. 
But again, you know, the skills aren't atrocious underneath the hood. He had a very low BABIP again, you know, another slow start to a season. Now that um, McGuire is out of the picture, you know, an interesting thing to consider in like a DC would be getting, you know, getting Jansen and Alejandro Kirk, who I know you're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, that could be really interesting strategically, but I won't, I won't ruin your piece on, on Kirk there. Um, we can talk about it when we get to him. And then Omar Narvaez is another guy, you know, where again, all of a sudden he just sucks offensively. But one thing, one key thing too, which is just incredible, honestly, is that he, he, he was an incredible framer last year. He was like the best framer in all of baseball last year. And so I don't know if the Brewers were like, Hey, look, really focusing on this or, or what happened essentially. But like, you know, at the price that he's going at, you know, for what he's been able to provide in the past, I think just giving him a mulligan for this year and hoping, you know, I think if he does well, then he'll have a, he'll, he'll get that starting job or the bulk of the innings in Milwaukee, which is a nice place for a left-handed batter to be. And, you know, so you just hope that he's able to get back to where he was previously and he's good defensively. And so that means that, you know, he should be in the lineup on a regular basis. So those are just some guys that, you know, for whatever reason, because they had bad 2020s or just where they're going or they're free agents right now look like pretty good values to me. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. The Novaya's one really surprises me. And part of me wants to think, you know, new environment, new staff to learn, kind of offense took a back page to situations. That's kind of one thing I want to kind of think about because, I like his overall tools. I think that's a heck of a value. And Torrens is interesting. I think that's a very interesting shout there. For me, like you mentioned, Alejandro Kirk is a guy I am definitely looking to target later in drafts. He reminds me a lot of um, our Williams Ostadio of 2021, not just because of his size, but just because of his overall production at the plate. This guy can can rake, and it's more of a contact thing. Like He puts the ball in play a ton. He has an 88% zone contact, which is – really really good so um that that's one thing to be very very positive a lot of balls on the ground slightly concerning but does, like he had zero percent weak contact last year so when he's hitting the ball even on the ground he's hitting them pretty hard he hits for good average um that's something to take home as well i like what we saw to him in the smaller sample size of things you know 50 percent hard hit rate you know only in let's see total at bats you know 26 at bats so take that with a grain of salt but he still only struck out 16% of the time, which I like to see even along the minors. Seven or along the minors, 11.2, 8 .3, 8 .6 K percentage. Walk rates over 13 in his three minor league stance. Only 4% last year. Let's let him get comfortable at the plate. They were throwing a lot of fastballs, obviously. He was hitting them well. 421 BABIP's not sustainable, but he was around a 300 BABIP guy to 320, and he hit around 290 to 300 in the minors. So what I'm trying to say is he's a batting average asset with a little bit of power, Going to be in that uh, baby Blue Jays lineup, which will be pretty good. Probably platooning with Jansen, but they also had Kirk DHing towards the end of last season just because he hits the ball that well. I think there's a lot to like about him later in drafts. Uh, the other two, Tyler Stevenson, youngster for the Reds. In the little bit they used him last year, they saw a ton of power, which he has. They just kept playing Tucker Barnhart. Eventually, they're going to say, screw it. We have the stud process. We're going to play prospect. We're going to play him. When they do, Stevenson will be a extreme value at this point in the draft. So, like, if we knew Stevenson was playing every day right now, he'd be a top 15 catcher pretty easily for me, if not higher. The power is very, very good with Tyler Stevenson, especially in Great American Small Park. So he's a guy to take advantage of right now. And then last but not least, we kind of mentioned him earlier with Gary Sanchez, and I'm probably going to mispronounce his name every time I say it on accident. Kyle Higashioka. I just call him Higgy. Higashioka. 
Um, we saw it towards the end of last year. He wasn't just Garrett Cole's personal catcher towards the end of last year. He kept catching every day. He was hitting in the playoffs. He was catching over Sanchez in the playoffs. The hit tool was much better than I thought it was, and I think it's going to carry over into 2021, at least to start the season. And right now, not many believe that, so I might be on an island by myself, and I might be just kind of chilling by myself as a fool throughout next season. But he's a 38th catcher. We're going right after Luis Torrens at 473. So if you're doing DCs, you're doing best balls on fan tracks, whatever you're doing, getting Higgy really late, I think could be a very, very nice value. So like there's there's other ones back here. Like if you get bored, like Nottingham, if Navarro struggles, power chance Cisco's down here. Like there's other guys down here, but those are the three main guys I'm looking totally. at. Totally. Yeah, Jose Trevino too. You should yeah, have Trevino a should be with the Rangers. Rangers. Yeah, he should be the starting catcher yeah. for the Rangers. He played very well toward, he had cleanup pretty much for the Rangers in the last month yeah. of the season. Yeah, which tells you about the Rangers. Yeah, true. <laughs> so the catcher's position is it's ugly, but like best ball formats. I know we've we've harped on getting the top guys, and you probably still should. But in best ball formats, if you just want to say screw it and take like three guys late, like or just go bang, 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 like late in the draft, we just named like five guys that throughout the year should have good chances to start and be semi productive at least. So I'm not saying it's the win all strategy. But it could potentially work. I'm just going to put it out there. At least compared to taking darts on, you know, seventh outfielders or relief pitchers trying to get saves, these catchers might actually play. So that's kind of the angle I'm going with there. All right. We got a lot of listener questions, which again, we absolutely love. So keep them coming. Love it. Keep them coming. But I'm going to be completely honest with this first one from um, Governor of Givener at Kelly706, and it cuts off. So. Can't tell you who that is, but I literally had to look up because I thought he misspelled who the player was we're looking at. But it involves the St. Louis Cardinals, and maybe he starts this year if Yachty's not around. Andrew Nisner, Kisner is a 25-year-old prospect catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. He got 18 games played in 2019, eight games played last year. A little bit of pop uh, in the minors, decent batting average guy. I honestly know not much about him. So let me apologize now. Do you have anything on him? No, I mean, I think he's definitely interesting. Uh, Steamer actually does like him a lot. Uh, has him as as about a $10 player, I want to say. That's tremendous. Um, so, yeah, yeah. He, um, you know, again, I think a lot of it depends because they don't have any other catchers right now. With Yachty being gone, um, they don't, they really don't. And Weeders, you know, I don't, God knows what Weeders is going to do. Yeah, but Steamer has him. 263 batting average, 13 home runs, 47 runs, 49 RBI with with three stolen bases. So I definitely think it's a good shout and a guy that you'll be able to get pretty late in drafts. That's yeah, worth six, a go. 609, 609 in the first draft. Yeah. I mean, he's worth a go because if, if nothing changes, then he's likely to be, you know, the starting catcher there. Like I assume that they'll go after some sort of veteran, you know, for on a one-year deal or something like that. Um, you know, to at least kind of pair with him. But, yeah, overall solid. I mean, throughout minor league career, very low strikeout rates. Um, you know, throughout, uh, Steamer has him projected for about an 18% strikeout rate, which is solid. You know, he has a little bit of pop. You know, his max exit below is decent, around 110, I think. And he's got a couple barrels um, in his short time in the in the big league. So, again, you know, a lot of question marks just because we don't have a huge sample size to work with. But, that's the type of guy that I think is a really interesting um, guy to take a shot on right now because the price is so low and they're likely to give him at least half a shot at, um, at that gig. And, and he looks to have decent enough skills where 
he can be, you know, league average or um, better from a hitting perspective for catchers. So I think that's a good, it's a good suggestion. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Open my eyes to a guy to dig in on more. That's for sure. So I appreciate the question there. Brian Vogel at Brian P Vogel. He asks every year there are catchers drafted late rounds or not at all that return top 10 value. Who are some guys you think can pull that off at in 2021? I'll let you go first. We mentioned some guys, but who? who oh, man. Uh, it's really hard to say. I mean, uh, I don't know if it's Nisner or, or Knizer, Knizner. I don't know how you pronounce it, but he, he could be a good one um, right there. I mean, if, if he plays well in spring training and wins the job and, you know, catches in two out of three games, he's got a decent enough profile where I don't know if he's going to be like a league winner, but he'll be really, really good. Um, I'm interested to see what happens in Philly with Andrew Knapp. Um, you know, if JT Realmuto doesn't sign, I assume they'll, they'll sign another veteran there if he goes away. But Knapp had a pretty good um, 2020. The skills are, are, are decent um, as well. And uh, my brother also uh, coached him when he was, uh, when he was at Cal. So um, uh, he's going to be participating in the trivia game that me and you are teaming up on. So I always want to give him a shout out. Um, if I can, you know, the ones that, um, I don't know of the ones here, maybe, maybe Torrens, you know, just because he does, he has shown the ability to hit the ball really well. I think what, or or Max Stassi, I also like a lot, although he had hip surgery and and that's the reason why I didn't include him in because I think he's out until pretty much everything starts. But I think what's more likely is there are some really good, offensive catchers in the minor leagues like the Mets have one uh, Feliciano I believe his name is um, there's actually like a really good crop of hitting catchers I don't know how good they are at actually catching uh, Kirk was an example of one of them there's one on the Brewers as well yep. so those guys since we just don't have access to the minor leagues and we just don't know yet like and we just don't know where they are in the kind of developmental process I could see a guy like that like an Alejandro Kirk type, you know, making that move. Or Kirk, I mean, he's late enough in drafts right now where you could consider him that type of guy. But, yeah, I mean, those are the type of uh, – I think Kirk is a, was a great shout that you had. I think that that he's probably the most likely for me to take that, like, big step and become one of the top five hitting catchers in, in baseball because I think it's, it's kind of just a matter of plate appearances because he's really thrived at every single level. Yes, he's young, but – He's got the the skills, and he's kind of a professional hitter type. So, um, yeah, those would be some of the guys that I, I'd kind of throw out there. Yeah, Kirk was obviously one that stands out to me. I like Tyler Stevenson. So guys that I mentioned already, uh, Stevenson doing his power, but Kirk just overall production, I think would be a good top ten uh, possibility. Going deeper, though, um, I know I mentioned Higgy. I like Higgy a lot if he plays every day. That's just a question still. Does he play every day? But the super – like I like that – that the more I look at Kisner's profile, it, it's very, very interesting to say the least there. Um, other than that, not much for me. I'm going to just say Kirk would be my guy that stands out as an everyday uh, guy that could possibly climb the ladder at the position. All right, let's go to the next one here that you don't want that. Uh, Heath Caps at Heath Caps asks, who is your favorite catcher target? And why is it Austin Nola? So we talked about how much we loved Austin Nola. Obviously, let's have fun here, Toby. Outside of JTR, who's your favorite catching target? Based on price right now, um, 
Grandal. Mm, Grandal or Contreras, probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to look at Contreras. To, like it, the more I've dug in on him, he really intrigues me because he does the things I love, which is consistency with upside. That's what I want. Like more often than not, give me consistency with upside. I'll gamble at positions I know I can replace guys with. So, um, big fan of that. So yeah, we kind of. But yeah, Nola is very solid. I like I like Nola a lot. Yeah, not a problem at all with that. Uh, Matt Tantillo at Tanto Matt, how do you think the Texas and Toronto situation shake out? Are Huff and Kirk worth their early draft prices? Kirk, I'm pretty sure we agree. Yes, we're good there. Let's go to Texas now. We talked about Trevino is uh, going to be interesting because he was hitting cleanup. We think he's going to start. Sam Huff, prospect in the minors, lots of power, lots of swing and miss. If you guys want to see a whole thread on it, uh, Mike Kirkland and some others had a gigantic thread talking about it on our timeline. So go check out all that. They have stats galore on Huff comparing him to Gary Sanchez and others. Um, what are your thoughts on Huff in Texas? Yeah, I mean, I think Jose Trevino has that has that job right now. I mean, the thing for me about Huff is if you look at it throughout his minor league career, you know, he's a 30% K rate in the minors. And he doesn't even have good plate discipline either. Like his his walk rate is pretty low as well. And so I just don't think that's a recipe success for success at the major league level. He's only 22, so he's still young, so he still has time to develop. But what I what I see is probably the most likely thing is that, you know, Trevino starts out as the starter, maybe Huff is the backup. They give him a little bit of play. Or, you know, probably more likely is is this year with the minor leagues coming back, it sounds like, you know, um, that he's he's in the minors. Because I don't think he got past uh, high A, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the minors. So I, I would say he'll probably be in like double A, something like that. Um, uh, double A, yeah, this, this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I think and we're going to see that with a lot of guys. A lot of guys got some cups of coffee that we usually wouldn't get because of no minors. And, and some guys will stick because it produced, but other guys, they might go back to double A AA or triple A next year, get some run and come back mid season or September. And then, and then we'll start afresh with that. So we're going to see different uh, situations there. So Huff, tons of power average has been like two forty ish, which is not horrible. I guess at the catchers, but that strikeout rate needs to get worked on in a big way. Yeah. And a good, and a good thing just to remind ourselves of is like, uh, you know, we look at this very small plate sample size and we're like, Oh damn, Sam Huff. But it's like, yeah, he had a 50% home run per fly ball rate a four, and a 471 Babbitt, mm-hmm. you know? And so those aren't, those aren't sustainable things. So when his debt Babbitt normalizes, that batting average becomes 220, 210. And, you know, and, and major league pitchers are good enough to keep those home runs to a minimum, right? We've seen, we've been waiting for this from Mike Zunino for however long, right? And he waited until the 20... 20 playoffs to do it, but it's like same profile strikes out a ton goes on some runs where he hits home runs, but over the course of a season, he's not a really useful fantasy asset. Yeah. And, and looking at Sam Huff, Sam Huff came up in the middle of September. He hit safely in his last six games. He had a two home run game against Houston as uh, so two or three home runs came in one game. You just look at the overall, you know, production there. There's a, I guess a lot of question marks. And, you know, he faced Houston, Arizona, the Angels. Well, Arizona, unless it was Godley, wasn't throwing much out there. Anaheim wasn't throwing much out there unless it was Bundy. Um, you know, Houston's been good. Oakland, uh, there's question marks there too who he threw. So he didn't really face murderers row either. So 
lot, lot of questions there with Huff. Not saying he's going to be bad, but things we've got to consider. Um, Dynasty Junkie asks, another guy, Kirk's a popular target apparently. Danny Jansen had some buzz heading into 2020. He definitely did if you listen to this podcast. Um, can he stave off Alejandro Kirk in 2021? I'll start here. I think he can mainly because his defense is very, very good. That's what's kept him there this whole time. And like you said, under the hood, things look good. If he struggles, though, Kirk's going to be right there. Kirk's going to get playing time regardless. It might be easier if Jansen keeps struggling. But that defense is good enough where I think they want him out there. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think he's – I think it's Jansen's job. You know, I think it's just a matter of what that split is going to look like. Jansen's still, like, you know, the skills are all nice. I mean, the play discipline's fine. The contact rate is fine. You know, even the stat cast metrics are okay. Like I think the exit velo is not great, but he hits a decent amount of barrels and his, his hard hit rates fine, you know? So I think he's all around solid. Um, I haven't dive, dove in, dove, dive, dive into his, uh, like how well, you know, he does defensively, you know, but, but I think he's a major upgrade on Kirk from what I've, what I remember reading. And so, you know, again, that's going to be really important, especially in a Blue Jays lineup where, you know, they shouldn't be too short on, on having hitters, right. And that defensive piece is going to be, is going to be really important from the, from the catcher position. So um, I think, I think, you know, uh, they'll both be there and I think it'll be a pretty even split. Um, and yeah. it'll just depend on who plays better. Yeah. With Jansen, like, so I, I opened up Savant and, you know, 9.2% barrel in 18, dropped the 5.9 last in 19, then 8.6 again last year. So you got that little bump up. Um, the XBA was 244 compared to 183 average. So all of his X stats, you go through all of them, much like his 295 Woba, X Woba, 339. So a lot of positives there. Still a 35.5% hard hit rate. Strikeout rate's not bad at 21.1. His walk rate rose from 8.1 to 14.3. So there's a lot of positives in the Danny Jansen world. And I, I think we both would agree it'd be awesome to see him start producing. That'd make us both feel pretty good about we know we saw something there. Where's it at? Well, here it is. That would be good. So I, I wouldn't give up on Danny Jansen just yet. I'm with you there. I think there's definitely a um, a player to enjoy there. And right now he's going to pick 335, 22nd catcher off the board. You can definitely um, have some fun with that. All right. Dave Swan at the Vithius asks, do you consider Dalton Varsho a must-draft catcher in two-catcher formats? Yes. You? Yeah, I think he's – yeah, I think it's great. It's all about, like, what the cost is and what we learn about – his playing time and stuff like that, but he has the chance to be a really big, uh, a, a real, just great draft pick for people who get him. Um, if there's any chance that he has, you know, close to, to full-time playing time with the D-backs. All right. Here's the, um, the kind of strategy question on the show at SMMS 79. Always a great, uh, frequent questioner of the show. And also a Liverpool fan, I believe. Oh, there you go. So you got to share the same footy club. That's good. Um, he says, "Name. We'll start with the first part. Name a good landing spot and a bad landing spot for JTR. So, you're the JTR mm-hmm. guru. Where do you want him to go? The Besides JTR Colorado, yeah, right? <laughs> um, I mean, I think Philly would be fine. Yeah, I'd be totally happy with with him. I think, um, you know, in an ideal situation, I think the Phillies are good. I think the Yankees would be good. Not from like a you know baseball perspective necessarily." Um, I'm trying to see if I can do, uh, Craig Mish, uh, Real Muto suitors, you know, um, 
But, um, oh, here he said, he said Mets 20%, Yankees 15%, Braves 15%, Phillies 15%. So I think of all those, I think they're all solid. I mean, the one thing with the Mets is obviously the park is worse. And um, but he, he hit in Miami. I'm not too worried about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, these things are little things. You know, my only other question there is, you know, if they sign him, obviously, I think they think he can do the DH piece as well, right? Like, if you're not going to play him on a regular basis, it doesn't make sense. But um, they do have a lot of DH-only pieces on their team. True. And so that worries me just a little bit. Um, all the other guy, all the other teams that, that are mentioned there um, would be fine. The Cardinals would kind of suck because they have a bad, um, you know, just because their park is, is yeah. one of the worst in baseball. But outside of that, Blue Jays is fine. Padres is fine. So, you know, I think it'll all be fine regardless of who he signs for, you know. Um, but, you know, the stability of Philly wouldn't be bad for sure. Yeah, the, the place I don't want him to go, don't go to Oakland. Uh, that just sounds like a horrible place for him to go to. So, yeah, I, I, I think we're good on him not going. Yeah, there. yeah, I think we're pretty safe on that. But I'm just saying, if if something weird happens, don't go to open, please. For sure. um, if you aren't in a two catcher league and you don't get JTR, so if you're in a one catcher league and you don't get Real Muto, would catcher be your lowest priority on draft day? Do you, um, do you draft day do you, due to the glut of options behind him? So basically, is it okay to punt? I don't want to. I think it depends so much on the league. So, like, if you're not in two catchers, if you're in a one catcher league, it'll depend on things like bench size. Like, can you can you get two catchers and have them, and then kind of play them on a day to day based on matchup and based on um, you know when one's sitting, essentially have a guy to replace them, so that you're getting the plate appearances and making that up that you would get in some of these other players that we've talked about. I think that's one of the pieces. Um, definitely not punting, but like if I'm like in a 12 team, you know, single catcher league with a short bench, I'm not necessarily prioritizing it, I think is a fair way to say, um, outside of maybe JTR, um, I'd have to run the valuations and figure out exactly what it was, but I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, I wouldn't put a ton of emphasis on it there because we talked about how like. You know, there's a there's a lot of guys that have upside that have that are interesting, and so if it's shallow benches and it's one catcher, then you can kind of take a shot on one of those guys, and if it doesn't work, take a shot on the next guy, or just stream like on a regular basis. Uh, I think there's ways to make up the value that aren't necessarily there in a two catcher league. Yeah, like I'd make a point in draft day. Okay, twelve team league, one catcher. I want to try to make sure I leave with one of my top ten guys. That that'd be a plan, and then you can start replacing them after that if you have to. Like Brian Vogel said earlier on one of his questions, there's always guys that don't get drafted at every position, especially catcher, that all of a sudden finish the season really strong and you're, you're owning them before you know it. So it's one of those where it's not as dire, like you said. I can take a chance on this guy, replace him with this guy. A lot more feasible in those formats. So punting might not be the right answer, but you can definitely finagle it a little bit. All right, you mentioned Dave Petroziello earlier. He has a two-parter here. First off, I want Bubba to publicly apologize to Notre Dame for saying they wouldn't win. Yes, I know. I apologize. I figured they do what Notre Dame does and blow a big close game. So I figured Clemson would do it even with their backup quarterback. But Notre Dame got him in double overtime. So good for them. Good for them. Um, he asked, does Toby follow college football? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. Not at all. I used to. When I was younger, I was a really big Michigan fan um, growing up. 
Charles Woodson was my favorite player. Um, you know, Timunga Bianca Batuka was my favorite player. Like I just, I actually liked, I liked, um, uh, I remember the like 300 yard game that Bianca Batuka had against Ohio state. Like that was sweet. I think Bia- I can't even remember at this point in time, but Bianca Batuka was well before I think Seawood. I think he was what, like 93 or something like that. 94, something like that. And, um, I was a Panthers fan actually for like a number of years there when he was drafted by them. And anyways, I don't follow it now. Uh, I don't really follow college sports at all, really, to be honest with you at this point in time, just the NCAA tournament when it happens because I gamble on it. Um, and yeah, so I don't. And then his other part, which we knew was coming because it's a catcher podcast, it's Dave Petra's yellow. So we expected this part. He says, you know what catcher hill I'm going to die on? Carson Kelly. We do. Yes, we already knew this before you finish the uh, the whole question here. Carson Kelly is 315-ish ADP in early mocks. I doubt he'll be that in March, but I want him again. He finished strong in the September after they let him play more, although the cratering walk rate he doesn't like. Just quickly, what are your thoughts on Carson Kelly? Yeah, I'm not really that interested. Um you know, like I look at the profile right now and I, I got to look at the skills too, but like he pretty much did worse in everything this year, right? Walk rate went down, uh, K rate went up, ground ball rate went up, um, hard hit rate went down, O swing went up, contact rate went went down, uh, max exit, average exit velocity down, max exit velocity down, barrel percentage down hard hit rate down. And again, you know, it could be that he got better as the season progressed, which I'll check out right now. But, you know, the thing with Kelly is uh, I just, I wasn't into him last year and he hasn't really shown me a reason to be into him. And I just don't know if he's got like upside that some of these later catchers do. Oh yeah. It does definitely looks like he did get, uh, you know, better as the year progressed a little bit um in some metrics but yeah they're just i just haven't seen anything that shows me that he's anything special um like is is there a whole lot of difference between him and like a jose trevino or something like that you know much later or or, uh, you know so i'm sorry dave um but i'm not that into him but um you know he showed glimpses certainly of being being a really good player before but I'm I'm just I haven't seen it really. Yeah, I was I was I was really excited about him last year going into the season, but then COVID happened. Then I didn't get him anywhere, and then I watched him play, and it's hard for me to get excited for him again. So, change my mind this year, Carson, and then we can talk about it. That's all I have to say. Uh, Mike Kirk, Curlin, Mister Mike underscore Curlin Sleepy K, he asks Gary Sanchez is a trap in the top ten ranks. Tell me why I'm wrong. Also, a poor man's Gary Sanchez is definitely Sam Huff. Big guy, ton of raw power, swing and miss, costs like 200 picks less. They're all the same player. Also, well, we'll go to that in a minute. Okay, so we kind of hit on all this already. Um, you like Gary Sanchez, but do you agree he should not be in the top 10? Um, For Gary Sanchez? Um, NFBC ADP, I believe, has him at uh, – they have him at 11 right now, so he's almost in the top 10. I have him ranked 16th. What do you like with Sanchez? Oh, man. 
I don't know. I mean, I like the, the cost right now a decent amount. Um, who I'd push out of the top 10 for him. That, that is, I think, a little bit more of a challenging question. So I think he's a, about right at the moment. Um, I think he's about right at the moment as number 11. But as you probably have realized by now, Mike, we dis- I disagree with you about him being him and Sam Huff being yeah. the same player. Yeah, we're, we've already discussed the Sam Huff thing pretty well. Like He needs to get through the minors and then come up and give it a good run before we start uh, going that route. Uh, the other question Mike Curlin has, he brings a little uh, you know, brevity to the, to the podcast here. What has been your favorite guest appearance on a podcast? One you may have always wanted to be on or one that was just a ton of fun? Is it tough or one is tough, but any examples are welcomed. So Toby, you've guested frequently on podcasts. What is your favorite one? And this is kind of tough. When he sent this, I'm like, okay, that's rude. Yeah. Not pick one podcast. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for putting me on the spot on that one, uh, Mike. Um, you know, one thing about Gary Sanchez that I just think we should appreciate is like, I mean, he hit 34 home runs in 2019. How many catchers hit 34 home runs? He hit 33 home runs in 2017, you know? So, like, you know, you don't just – there aren't just guys who come up in the minors and do that, right? Like, because they'd be playing if they could do that on a relatively consistent basis. Not that he necessarily has. Um, You know, uh, a couple podcast appearances that kind of stand out to me, just because I had a really – I had a blast on them, was the Triple Play Mm -hmm. fantasy podcast that that we've done. Uh, Great group of guys – um, David, Eric, Art, I think. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed them. They do the little um, like trivia things at the end, the little games. I had an absolute blast with those. Uh, the first one, the first time I was on there, I, I, I was up by like three or something like that. And I ended up blow, blowing like a three question lead and losing it on the last question. Um, and then this past time I came back on and I won it and, and, and they were really good sports about like, you know, um, you know, the fact that it was important to me. <laughs> so I had a blast on those two. So I'll say those. I mean, I love every time I get on a podcast, it's always a different experience. I enjoy being on podcasts. It's a ton of fun. And the discussion is always different and, and new for people. Um, and so I think that that's probably um but that one stands out as just being a really – we had a really fun time and cracked a lot of jokes and stuff like that, which is always nice. Yeah, I'm with you. It's tough to, like, name just one because it's always a different experience when you're on a show, and they're pretty much always very, very fun. Like, there's, I don't really think of a bad experience on a podcast, but uh, the Triple Play guys are awesome. Um, I'm 2-0 and in the contest there, so I'm looking forward. They, they're already oh. – already, Oh, yeah, you are. Just saying. You are. I'm 2-0. Oh, interesting. Um, but well, yeah, I'm, just I'm sending a tweet right now to the fan, the triple play guys. I got to get back on. Yeah, got to get are, back on. You got to invite Bubba back on, and please do a trivia topic that he's really bad at. Yeah, they're they're already saying they're trying to figure out one for the next time around. Oh, so man. it's it's going to oh, be. No, fun. No, you want to know what they got to do? They got to they got to invite us both on at the same time, like Rob did. Oh, that would and be. And then dangerous. we can be part of the same contest. Only one of us. Only one of us. We both go in. Only one survives. Yeah, that. So that one. They they're a lot of fun. Like they're just a goofy bunch. I like to laugh a lot. The um, I, I'm gonna cheat here. The ITL boys, Bogman and Welsh, are my boys. Like we're brothers from another mother, and they are. They have a personality like me. They don't 
all like they, they they go to the stats. They don't always go to the stats though. They like to make you know dumb jokes like I do. Like we, I've hung out with them in Arizona. I gone to lunch, had drinks with them. We're a lot a lot alike. Let's just put it that way. And it makes recording with them super easy. So uh, I like them a lot. And then I guess if I had to pick one that I've always wanted to do, it was uh, when I did the Sunday Night Road to Wire show. That was one that was pretty cool. Never thought that would happen. So that was fun. Totally. But because um, Jensen and Erickson are already great guys that are fun to talk to anyways, but to do it on the Sunday show, which everyone knows is pretty much the uh, Cadillac of baseball podcasts, that was pretty cool. Totally. But, uh, all right. Let's talk about a question from a podcast you were on recently, the Draft Champions podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's their first time listening to the show. But um, do, you, do you project in terms of a dollar value? And if so, what bump do you give to catchers in NFBC 15s? Is the bump the same for all? So you pretty much do dollar values. You do them for NFBC 15s. So uh, what's your thoughts on this? Um, so, yes. I mean, um, the reason I said I can't really answer this is because I don't make my own spreadsheet. I use at uh, Smart Fantasy base, uh, at Smart Fantasy BB's spreadsheet that he puts together. He's a lot smarter than I am. Um, Tanner, that is. Um, and, and I have had a lot of success using his spreadsheet. So I let him do all the hard work and I just buy that spreadsheet from him. (laughs) Um, Like everybody else should so that you can get your own valuations. But in terms of the, um, uh, of the, of the bump that happens. So essentially what he does is he figures out um, the standards gains points, and then he figures out what the replacement level is. So like, what are the number of SGP standard game point that the replacement level catcher gets. And so like I looked it up in the spreadsheet and it's about six. That's how many SGPs the replacement level catcher uh, kind of floor is at. And to compare that, like second base was close to 13. So like that's an eight standard game points difference. And then so each standard game point is translated into a dollar value. And so um, I don't know exactly what that dollar value is. Um, but it, there's, there's definitely, there's a, um, there's a bump that catchers get. That's why, uh, Real Muto is, is so valuable in the spreadsheet. I think the difference is that a lot of people see that and they get the same thing and then they kind of correct because the market generally doesn't price or value catchers at the same as maybe that they actually are worth. And so, um, you know, some, so some people do that and, you know, my pushback always is like, well, like if, if, if if the price is something and, you know, um, and the market's not efficient around it, then I want to take advantage of that in some way. But I don't even know if that makes sense with the way people explain it. It's, it's complicated anyways. So that's just to tell you, yes, there is a dollar value bump that the catcher gets and it's the equivalent of about, uh, six, six standard game points. That makes sense. Uh, Patrick, FWO Pat D. Last questions we have here. He's got a little three parter, kind of a kind of individual. But uh, James McCann, Babbitt breakout. More skill was it more skill or luck? Any landing spots where you cut his outlook? Um, other than where PT is an issue, hmm. I don't see any place he's going to walk into as the everyday guy at this point in time, unless he goes to maybe New York. But I just don't see McCann as an everyday guy. I love his bat. I've always enjoyed him when he's in the lineup. I think in deeper leagues he's very good. I, I love him in DFS. Because he is talented, he can hit the ball very well, especially for his lefties. Um, but it, landing spots to be very important. That's why I was kind of surprised to see him as a 12th catcher off the board to pick 229. For some reason, I thought he still had more time with uh, Chicago. 
which let me double check right here. Um, no, he's a free agent this year. So he's a free agent. That'll be one to keep an eye on. So what are your thoughts on James McCann right now? Yeah, I think he's really interesting, um, depending on where he ends up. Like, he's the type of guy that could go to St. Louis, you know, or something like that. Although that wouldn't be an ideal, you know, scenario. Um, I'm trying to look. His framing framing was really good last year, 88. So he's good defensively. I don't think it was a fluke last year. I mean, when you look at him from a skills perspective, um, and and hello to Patrick as well. Um, uh, And thank you for the question. You know, like uh, there's a lot of improvements. Like his ground ball rate dropped at least from 2019 back to where it had been previously. You know, the Babbitt was actually lower in 2020 than it was in 2019. So he may just be kind of like a higher... Babbitt guy it seems like from his expected BA that he did get a little bit lucky um you know but again uh you know 258 from a catcher is nothing to to sneeze at especially when you're providing some uh some power you know barrel percentage the last couple years has been solid you know around nine percent so yeah I think he would be a great um catcher depending on you know especially if he goes he lands somewhere where he can get access to playing time on a frequent basis he could be a guy that could provide a decent amount of value. So I think that's another really good shout of, you know, a guy who maybe is just missing playing time in terms of being very relevant from a fantasy perspective. Yeah. I have him ranked 19th for me right now. If he got everyday playing time, I'd bump him up a lot. I really would. Cause I, I do believe that bat is pretty darn legit. So I'm, I'm a fan of that. He also has Christian Vasquez. We talked about him earlier. I think we're both kind of torn on him, not being as good as he is, but he asks, he's bet. Is he the best value in one catcher, 12 team formats? Got top of the line of front at year's end. Can that continue? I don't think he's the best value. I think Dalton Varsho or even Contreras is better value. Um, so I'd go there. He could still be very good, but for me, no. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, it's like we said, we're a little bit torn on him. And by torn, I mean, I, I just don't believe what he's been able to do necessarily. Um, in 12-team leagues, it's not a bad shout, him having additional value because of the stolen bases, because of the relatively high batting average for a catcher. So I could definitely see that being the case. Um, you know, uh, not a bad guy there, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everything we've said kind of holds true. The great thing about Bubba is he has, like, rankings already. You know, <laughs> Bubba has, like, rankings. I just talk a lot. I know. We we will figure it out. No, um, and his last question is: Who is the next DR node? Is it Jansen? I could see Jansen, um, Tyler Stevenson, everyday playing time. I, the thing with DR node is, I just don't believe in the batting average. Like, if we want to talk about the next catcher that comes kind of out of nowhere to hit for power and a decent batting average, okay, I don't see many catchers doing both. I, I can't. It's hard for me to find a guy. So, I guess if you want to go Jansen, you can. What What do you think? The next DR node. Um... Hmm. Trying to think of a good. I mean, I think Jansen is a pretty, pretty good appropriate. Um. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Nola is a pretty good comp if he were yeah. to improve his batted ball quality. But he's also just a he's a different profile too. So I think Jansen is is a fine, is fine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that being a pretty strong option there as well. But uh, awesome set of questions today. Awesome uh, start to our positional previews. Any final thoughts on the catcher's position? 
Not really. I mean, I think, you know, people probably know at this point that I value catchers probably more than most uh, people do. Um, I really do think it's a place where people can differentiate, um, you know, themselves um, from the competition. And I, I still think it's really undervalued, um, particularly certain certain players. Oh, one last thing that I'll mention, too, is that Ariel Cohen had a great article last year where he just did some analysis on like how because there's kind of this idea out there that catchers oftentimes don't like meet their value or like, you know, that they pretty consistently just kind of disappear. But um, Ariel actually found that catchers are really good at retaining their value compared to other positions. And it's not just a product of them having a lower number of plate appearances, like um, as to why they do that. So I would recommend people go and, and read that. I think that's helpful. Um, and it may not necessarily support all the conclusions that I have shared or made, um, but I think it's really helpful always to at least know the research and, and inform yourself as you think about uh, how to tackle a very, very, very important position in fantasy baseball. It is very, very important. And it's uh, we always like to make fun of it, but it seems like every year it becomes more and more important. So it'll be fun to uh, see how it plays out and, uh, See if I get my first JTR scares this year. So we'll see. Do but, it. Uh, do it. Do it. But until uh, next week, we'll start with the first base position next week, which to me is deeper than it was last year. So that'll be a fun conversation. But you can check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm on Twitter at BDNTrick. This was Bubba in the BatFlip episode 57. We'll catch you guys next week. See ya. See ya.